When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Florida, I just want to say that from a hospitality standpoint, you really weren't shining. You really should have had more sun. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Welcome to another episode of Awesome Etiquette. Our podcast comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. We're back. We actually haven't been at the microphone for two weeks now. We are like ships crossing in the night. We have been. (laughs) Two weeks ago, I was down in New York City. We were filming our season two of Awkward Moments, which is a really fun kind of edgy warning. Some not appropriate for kids. Season one was a little... Edgy. Yes. Let's just keep saying edgy. <laughs> but it was it was really fun. I love working with Cornhaber Brown. They're really wonderful people. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how season two turns out because it's going to be a little bit different. Well, you say edgy. I say a great risk. Great <laughs> phrase. A great risk. Take okay. a little chance every once in a while. And when you're trying to combine etiquette and humor, there's always a <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a trap. You're either the straight man or you're the butt of the joke. Right. And I, I'm not sure what I want. I think I wound up being a little bit of both, maybe. Um, but it, it is a lot of fun. We're really excited to see how those turn out. You can catch them on youlive.com. That's the letter U-L-I-V-E.com. And... So that was a little business, but there was, was a also bit, a little was, pleasure. Yeah, and in between, there was a little flu. <laughs> I like, no, I have to give a shout out to JetBlue and the wonderful flight attendant, Heather. My flight was delayed Saturday night coming back from New York City. And as it was delayed, the more it got delayed, the more I felt the flu setting in for real. I had woken up that morning with swollen glands and just feeling sick, but... It was starting to set in and we got boarded onto the plane and then wound up with a major delay. We were probably delayed an hour more just sitting on the tarmac. And in that time, my fever set in and I was burning up. Not only did she ask the person sitting next to me to go sit somewhere else, she got him a better seat, which mm-hmm. I thought was a really tactful way of handling it. She covered me in ice packs. She got I had not heard this. Yeah, story. she got me tea with like um, lemon and honey for my throat, and she just kept checking up on me. And she just looked at me and she said, "I'm just going to be your mom tonight." And I was like, you know, sometimes that might make some people a little uncomfortable. To be honest, when you're trapped on the tarmac, all you can smell is that like god awful de-icer. It's painful, and you just feel like you can't breathe. And wow. she totally took care of me. So Heather at JetBlue, you rock. Regardless, it led yeah. to me being like terrified I was going to be sick on vacation. Because as you know, I was going on vacation with another family, which is a little yeah. overwhelming. You're like, oh my gosh, what's it going to be like? There were four or six kids, all under the age of 10. Two couples, and then the woman that I babysit for, who's a friend of mine, had invited me to come down and and join her on this trip. And it's that thing where you're like, I really am on someone else's vacation. So my mentality going into it is I'm just going to go with the flow. And you know what was amazing? 
when they picked me up from the airport, her brother and my friend, what they talked about was, you only have so many days down here. We want to make sure you get to do what you want to do. It was the perfect host and guest dance. I love it. And it made me so comfortable because I was worried that if I wasn't feeling well enough to go do the amusement parks in Orlando or whatever, that I was going to be, you know, dragged around or that I was going to feel really guilty for being like, oh, you brought me down to Florida. I'm going to stay at your dad's condo while you all go down and do the amusement park thing with the kitties. Luckily, I wound up feeling great. I went with them. These kids were so well behaved for an entire day at a park. Everyone got along. I had the best time getting to know her brother and sister and their families better. The sun might not have been shining, but let me tell you, it was a great vacation. And minus 20, I think three days in a row while you were away. Yeah, so. it's like a 80, 80 degree difference in temperature will do a lot. What were you up to while I was gone? <laughs> I was sitting around I'm, being that's what jealous. You were, you were just sitting around being jealous? Okay. <laughs> no, we held the fort down and definitely prepping for my own trip. As you can see with me in studio is my laundry. When I get to the office, I'll pack it into the the garment bag and and off to LA for a little vacation of my own. As you know, this weekend, I'm going to a a great big Indian wedding with Pooj out in Los Angeles, Newport. fabulous. But this is not Pooj's relatives? No, it's a high school friend. A friend of hers from high school. I'm about to play the guest dance myself. (laughs) I will be house guested by LA friends. You will be hosted. Pra- practically family. Um, <laughs> yeah. And going to a great big wedding in a very different tradition than I'm used to, but it's um, a little bit of a trial run. I can. Uh, a trial run, yeah, because you've got a great big Indian wedding of coming. Of my up. own coming. Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm super, super excited, and uh, updates will be forthcoming. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. Well, shall we get to some listener questions? We shall. All right. Should we arrive? But there's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn, but it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. Let's get started. Do you think sometime we should take their questions on how to be rude? Do you think we should do that? <laughs> I think that would be kind of fun for something different. A little turnaround show at some point. We're now do- for something completely different. Anyway, our question begins. My boss and I are a team of two and are relatively close. We are friends on Facebook, as is most of the company. And although we don't get too in-depth about our personal lives and don't spend time together outside of work, I do know that he split up with his longtime girlfriend, and now I am 99% sure that he's dating one of our colleagues. Based on their sudden friendship and events that they have both attended and posted about on social media, I'm pretty certain about this. For the most part, they are very professional and discreet. However, we, my boss and I, have started working closely with this colleague on a project, and it has become a bit awkward for me. My boss and I are technically managing her on this project, and I feel that my boss is not able to act objectively and that I'm not able to bring up concerns about our working situation. For example, the colleague has been sending multiple emails a day asking for feedback on the project. I told my boss that the number of emails has become a bit distracting and wished that she would save her questions for our face-to-face meetings. My boss said that he could understand how the barrage of emails would be bothering other people on the email chain, but thought that we needed to hear all of the questions since we are the advisors on this project. Maybe he's right, or maybe he doesn't find them bothersome because she's his girlfriend. Should I speak to my boss about it? 
He has never acknowledged the relationship to me, so I hesitate to intrude on his personal life. Or is there someone else I can speak to without outing their relationship? Any help is greatly appreciated. Sincerely, Ryan. Complicated. Indeed. Our professional lives and our personal lives, they're supposed to be this firewall, and yet it's so impossible to really live like that. And (laughs) Ryan has no idea if this is actually a thing or if he's just perceiving it because maybe they're friends now, and that's why he's been seeing an interaction. Mm -hmm. I I like that before we dive into the answer that you're acknowledging there's some ambiguity in this question, that nothing is known here. Ambiguity is like key. to. It's like paramount to our answer. Yeah. And the answer is no, you definitely don't talk to him about it. No, you're going to leave that personal life as personal life until it's brought Shared up with or you. yeah, exactly expressed or made explicit in the office in some way that it yeah. becomes appropriate to address it. There are all kinds of work issues going on here that are entirely appropriate and valid to address. Absolutely. So the, the particular behavior, the work behavior that's problematic, a barrage of emails and uh, an assumption that someone's going to uh, going to give you their attention, whether or not um, you're in charge of them and, and yeah. have the right to demand it. So how should he handle the particular work? work issue, the stuff that he can address since we know he can't address the issue of the girlfriend. Sure. Uh, uh, Potential girlfriend. Alleged girlfriend. (laughs) 99% convinced girlfriend. Probably pretty sure it's actually a new girlfriend. (laughs) Um, And and you do. You've got to do your best to ignore that. Um, And and not let a tone of I know better and um, I'm right about this creep into the rest of your communication. Because really... From my perspective, a barrage of emails, there there are worse things to be dealing with. Well, you could take some control of that the way you can take control of any situation. So, you know, I'm going to open these when I check this email and that's going to be at lunch. That's going to be on the hour. That's going to be on whatever time frame is reasonable for me and, and makes sense with the rest of the work. And regardless of the girlfriend assumption, that's exactly what our advice would be. If you were receiving emails like this from someone, it would be take control of it of yourself and just say, I'm going to save these And collect them all. And you can even let the person know, send as many as you need to. I'm going to save them for our face-to-face meeting just so you know why I'm not responding immediately. You take control of the expectation around the communication and then... You're in charge of what you can most reliably be in charge of, which is you, your behavior, your reactions. You can look to address the situation if it really becomes problematic or if the person continues to persist. Why aren't you responding? Why aren't you getting back to me in a timely fashion? That would upset me. You can talk to that person directly. You can talk to your boss and you can explain why you don't get back to them as quickly as they might like. Getting them to change their behavior is going to be harder. Um, If you're really supervising them, if they report to you, you could bring it up with them. Even then, ask supervisors. People don't fix everything that you bring up. Um, so it really taking control of what you can take control of is the heart of our advice here. You're not going to discuss the personal situation until it comes up. And even then, if your boss brings it up as something that they're talking to you about personally, I would respond personally at first. I, I wouldn't be ready with a list of grievances for when he does finally bring uh, this relationship up with you or finally reveal this relationship. That would be a moment to to be pleasantly surprised for a minute. And then maybe later you might adjust the way that you talk about it. So that's everything about the actual work, the actionable things that, that Ryan can do. Here's the more tricky situation. You have an assumption in your head and that's not going to go away. 
and let's face it, these people are probably dating. How do you handle it when you see them flirt? You're having a meeting, just the three of you, and they flirt. We're now going to assume that, yes, this is happening. And Ryan is seeing this with his boss and the girlfriend. And it's making him actually uncomfortable at work. What do we... How do you... I'm hearing Lizzie Post in my head. Tell me what I'd say. (laughs) And I wish I knew, but it would be funny. (laughs) And you'd be in the room with the person and something would be going on where they're sharing like a little inside joke and you're wanting to let them know that you're in on it. And you might be like, I'll write a little subtle to you, too, or something to that. I I, I could I could hear it. (laughs) Um, And of course, it's not subtle enough. It'd be funnier. Completely inappropriate. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Don't do what I do, Ryan. (laughs) What do you think? Because this is a boss. And if they don't have a personal relationship, but his. The, the new personal relationship is being flaunted in Ryan's face. When it starts to be a flaunt, then I start to acknowledge it. Okay, I start let's to say, be honest about the situation. I, I'm smart enough to see what's going on here. And we're not talking about it yet, but we can all acknowledge what's going on. Would you say it to here. both of them or would you wait until it was just you and your boss? It would depend on the flaunt. Okay. If it was happening between both of them in front of me, I might let them know I'm in on the joke. And it might even just be that knowing smile or a little twinkle in the eye when they say something or share a laugh. <laughs> Um, if it's just with one of them, then I would just do it with that one. Now, what if it's making you really uncomfortable? Because that's the part where I would probably, uh, because I'm close with my boss at work, I would probably say, hey, I just, I'm sorry, but it became, it became too much for me to not say something. And I want to know just simply because if it's not going on, I don't want to be sitting here assuming your actions are, Mm -hmm. are telling me something they're not. And if it if it is going on, you should just be aware that it's coming through, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of like you're being their friend and saying, hey, your true colors between each other, which are amorous, are starting to show. And awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear jerking to plot twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H. 
com slash manners, it's manners with an S, to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. That's almost broccoli on the tooth rule. Yeah. That's sort of like, letting someone know. I love thinking about it that way. You got a bat in the cape. Like, like yeah. oh, I like it. Your, your love's on your sleeve. Oh, so I think that, but, or you could treat it like a difficult conversation. And then that takes a little bit of social savvy to, to anticipate how it's going to go. And if when you're treating you, it like a difficult conversation, do it in private. Keep the focus on whatever the particular issue is that's problematic for you. So you're talking about that thing. You're not saying the relationship that yeah. you're having is a problem, and but it's it, the way it's impacting our work life. Do it quickly after that thing happens that, you know, it's it and, and make sure it's something that it's pretty obvious you were able to partake in seeing or, or witnessing happen. Mm-hmm. Because if you wait, trying to get them to remember when they slipped up is going to be harder. So right after that meeting that's uncomfortable for you, that's when you want to take them aside and say, hey, yep. All right. I like it. Ryan, good luck. Um, Please send us an update and let us know how this is going. We are very curious. Maybe it's gossip, but we're we're kind of we're intrigued. (laughs) Maybe it's like, you know, hey, you two get a room. Um, Chris, our sound engineer, just announced that his way of handling it would be just saying, hey, you two get a room. I love his New York bluntness. All right. Dan's going to read this next question, but I'm going to start it off by just saying that I really ap- appreciated receiving it. I actually received it from the listener twice. And it, it's unfortunate we aren't able to answer every question on the air. This one I wanted to get to, but we kind of just had some other questions that were, were backed up and in line first. Um, so I apologize that it took us so long because it is a great question. But it, what was really cute was the second time it was sent, it came with um, a hashtag, hashtag awesome etiquette in the email and it was really sweet the woman explained that her son was concerned that maybe because hashtag awesome etiquette wasn't in the email it, it wasn't w- getting on it the wasn't going to get on the show <laughs> and i thought just for our little listener out there who's our, our little hockey player out there i just thought that was so great and so like what an attuned little listener he is and i, I loved it and just so that you all know hashtags actually don't matter in the emails because they're about uh, basically labeling something, trending something, um, categorizing it in a group. And that works for social media. So on Facebook and Twitter, we ask you to use the hashtag. But don't worry, in your emails, you don't have to. <laughs> Take it away, Dan. So, so this question begins. Hi, Lizzie and Daniel. I really enjoy your podcast. I often listen while driving my children to their extracurricular activities. It has been great to share your etiquette advice and become better informed with my children. My son plays on an elite traveling hockey team, and I'll confess, Part of the reason this question made the show is I played youth hockey growing up from age five to age 18. Absolutely love it. And I can remember the conversations with my mother driving (laughs) around to games all over New England and – this just warmed my heart to hear this question start this we're way. We're a big <laughs> hockey family, so we're, we're fans. <laughs> so to continue, <clears throat> parenthetical aside, parents often trade traveling weekends. The team travels quite a bit and taking turns helps everyone. In a few weeks, the team will be traveling out of state for a tournament. My husband and I realize due to work commitments and a conflict with our daughter's activity that weekend, we will be in need of travel help. On previous trips, when we have sent our son with another family, we send money to cover his hotel expense, food, and added extras. We, of course, intend to do this for this trip as well. I feel very grateful for this family. They are good, kind people, and we consider them friends and happily host and chaperone their son and daughter whenever possible. When I approached the dad, he graciously said, yes, no problem. JP is so easy. After I asked, seconds after, it dawned on me that I had unintentionally asked one of our coaches— 
I asked this particular dad because of how much we value and trust the family and the fact that our sons are particularly good friends and a good pair for four days. Since this family will not be taking us up as a chaperone for a travel-free weekend, I'm wondering if there is a special thank you beyond the thank you card I have sent to other families after previous travel weekends. Thanks for your help, Grateful Hockey Mom. I love this question because Grateful Hockey Mom, she's doing so many of the right things off the bat that you can just tell she's a very considerate and well-meaning person. Um, and you get that from her question. She's she's sending her son not just with money for the hotel and for the food, but also for a little bit of spending money or in case maybe like a skate breaks or something. I don't know how skates break. But, you know, in case <laughs> something happens, anything. there's there's the extra funds there. So she's not putting that problem on the, the hosting family. And not only that, but she recognizes that the coaches, because they're going to attend every single game, won't get the opportunity to have that kid-free weekend. Harder, it's it. harder to reciprocate. It is. Yeah. So I think that the the best thing that you can do is offer to um, be backup for the parents on some weekend outside of hockey season. Mm -hmm. So let them know, listen, anytime this summer if you have a wedding to go to or if you guys just need a weekend away, we would love to take you know, your son or your son and daughter um, for the weekend so that you guys don't have to worry about it. You've been so kind to take JP and we're so glad that the boys have such a good time together. We would love to return the favor for you. That's it. That's yeah. a, It's as simple as that. You can always send the thank you note and everything. But I think in this case, you know, you don't need to buy a cake or get them a gift certificate to dinner out. I think I think that weekend away kind of having that in the bank would be a good a good thing to pull out and use later. I think it's smart. And you always remind me the power of words. Don't yeah. don't forget the power of your words. Tell this person, this coach, exactly what you told us. Yeah. You know, usually I, I, I look for an opportunity to reciprocate. And I know that's probably not going to be possible because you're going to obviously be at every game. But I just want you to know how much I appreciate it. And... <laughs> yeah. If there's anything, and, and then that's a great time to make that offer about the following weekend, or maybe it's something during the season. Maybe it's not a whole weekend. Maybe it's something related to the team. If you ever need help getting jerseys washed, or maybe there's Whatever a particular is, yeah. banquet that's getting planned for where they know they're going to need tubs of salad. Right, right. No, I think that's a good idea. And if you do go the route of, of offering that, that other weekend, I would say just send them a reminder in the spring or in the summer. That way you like can that. like really encourage them to lean on you for it so that it doesn't just come across as that, you know, oh, yeah, I know I'm supposed to say this now. And you are, are clearly a very genuine person. So I don't think when you say it, it'll come across that way. But I say pop back in in, you know, May or June and say, hey, would would love to to, you know, get on your schedule. And if you guys want to go away for a weekend, let us know when we can take the kids. Here's when we're available. I think that's a nice follow up. Great. Well, we hope that the rest of the hockey season is awesome and that you guys win in your tournaments. And thank you so much for being listeners. Our next question is definitely of the modern sensitive category. Dear Daniel and Lizzie, greetings from Maryland. Hey, they listen to us in Maryland. Yay! <laughs> I listen to your podcast. <laughs> Sorry. I listen to your podcast and have learned a lot. I am also glad to know that I was not the only Dan who was called Danny by his family growing up. I am still called Danny by my relatives to this day. It's sweet. <laughs> 
Social media and etiquette sometimes mix like oil and water these days, texting RSVPs, putting up photos without permission, and so on. But there is one area where I think the old school manners should trump social media. That is breaking bad news to people, particularly the death of someone. First of all, before we even get to the rest of this question, yes, Dan and I both agree with you that announcing someone's death on social media is something that needs to be handled very delicately. Mm -hmm. To continue, last year my sister-in-law died of cancer. My niece, not her daughter, took to Facebook to announce it. I was in an airport when I got read the posting. My fear was that my husband would find out the same way. I called him at work to find out that another one of his siblings had called him with the news. However, in looking at the timestamp of the posting on Facebook, it was before my husband was informed. So, technically, he could have logged on to Facebook and found out that his sister had passed. I don't think this is the way one should find out about a loved one's death. When I saw my niece later in the year, I told her that she should have made sure the immediate family had been notified before posting anything. She said I was old-fashioned and posting on social media saves time and goes to a larger audience. I don't agree. While I'm on my soapbox, when my mom died on Christmas Day several years ago, my sister and I agreed that we wouldn't tell the rest of the family until the next day as it was Christmas Day. However, my sister's husband took it upon himself to leave voicemail messages for my mom's siblings, informing them of her death. This was done without my knowledge or my sister's knowledge. To this day, my mom's relatives want nothing to do with him because of that. He doesn't think he did anything wrong. He was just passing on the news. Anyway, am I old-fashioned for believing that you should pick up the phone and let people know about someone's passing and then after the family knows put it on social media? And what about the voicemail? I don't think a message like that should be left as voicemail. What is the proper way to let a large number of people know about the death of a family member? Respectfully, Dan. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Dan, I'd, I'd like to start by offering our condolences here. Uh, this is a tricky situation anytime someone passes. And we've got a, a, actually two situations here and a couple of questions about both of them. So I want to take them in order so that we, we're sure we don't miss anything. Uh, first thing I'm going to say is something that we very rarely say here about a question that that is not about something in the future, but something in the past. You were definitely right and your niece was wrong. Um, I don't know how the conversation went between you and her and maybe Maybe it could have been handled differently, more tactfully in a way that she would be better able to hear the message that you were trying to send. I don't know exactly how that conversation went, but I do know the basic point that you were trying to convey is a really important one, an important one to communicate to a young person who's still learning and try to figure out um, 
how to how to conduct themselves in the world. And definitely, uh, while you reach a larger audience and you save time by posting something on Facebook, there are some things that are that are so important. It's really important to deliver the news personally. And the passing of a loved one is one of those times. And it's particularly important that close friends and family, and particularly immediate family, are notified in as personal way as possible, as soon as possible. I think that's that's really important. And by posting on social media, you trump that news. You 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 take shortcuts that prevent people from hearing um, from someone who can deliver that message with some care and some compassion. And by having that message delivered, we mean that that your niece, before she posted, what we would have thought proper to do would be to make sure that the immediate family members, so daughters, sons, brothers and sisters, you know, obviously husbands and wives probably know, children, th- those those close family members, aunts and uncles, are notified by phone and not by voicemail, but that you actually get the person on the phone. Yeah. And that once your niece had checked in, that from what her family could tell, everyone had been communicated with and contacted personally, then she could get the go-ahead to post it to Facebook yeah. or to leave you just you just don't leave that voicemail. I'm sorry. In, in this particular case, I, I would say that one of the questions you ask is what is the, the most appropriate way to let a large audience know? And the answer used to be you put an obituary in the paper. Right. And that served as the announcement. And it served as an announcement to a much larger community because yeah. it wasn't necessarily um, possible or practical to be able to reach every person that would want to know with a personal message. Yeah. So – there is a place in social media and and the social media obituary, an announcement on social media of someone's passing is um, maybe going to be a, a very intentional part of a strategy for letting people know there is an appropriate time and way to do that. And it's after you've given the message to people who would really care to hear it in a more personal way, that personal message. There isn't a, an exact right answer. There are going to be different ways that you reach people at different times. If there is a son and they are traveling in some other part of the world, it might be a telegram that reaches them there there might be by hook or by crook you get that news to them any way possible and it might be that social media is part of that chain that gets that message there but you really want to be thinking very personally about the people involved mm-hmm. and you want to be thinking about immediate family first and people that are that are very close friends people who are going to be hurt if they hear about this in in a way that feels impersonal to them and social media will always feel impersonal just so you know um, that's that's just the, the nature of it. I mean, we've all found out news that way, and it definitely feels impersonal. I think it's really important to, to recognize, I mean, I had just talked about it, but you said, and what about voicemail? And that really isn't a voicemail that you want to leave. Um, I don't think your brother-in-law did the right thing. I'm going to just say it. Um, there is a part of what he did that Dan and I both agree is important, and Every family handles death a little bit differently, but we are of the mindset that most people like to know as soon as possible, and they're not going to care whether it's Christmas Day or a birthday or a vacation that you're on and waiting to get back from it so you don't spoil the good time. I know Mm -hmm. the times where someone has tried to save my special day or whatever or the end of my trip I was always pretty darn annoyed that someone had waited that long to tell me because frankly the passing of someone close to you is something that you you don't want to be delayed on 
And you don't want to have that feel like a managed emotion. It, it can feel like someone is making decisions for you and for your best interest when really your best interest is to know the truth and to know it as soon as possible. So you definitely the, the, the framework here is that you want to deliver the news as soon as possible and you want to deliver it as, in, in as personal a way as possible because that's going to be a moment of, of grief for someone. And anything that you can do to soften that blow or offer support and condolence in that moment is going to be so appreciated and it's going to be an important part of, of the way that moment is remembered. And then beyond that, once you know that everyone has been contacted, then you can post to social media because we do believe that that is a good way to let extended friends and very extended family know about the passing. But you really want to make sure that the branches of the family out from the person who has been deceased or who's mm -hmm. passed um, have been contacted first. Well, I want to wrap up by, again, offering our condolences. These are always difficult situations, and um, and we wish you the best getting through it. I'm also just going to suggest, Lizzie, that we think about a future postscript where we talk about social media at the end of life. I think, I think we need to do th that there, because there are a lot of questions about it. There are a number of questions, and not the least of which is closing down accounts and managing accounts, ma managing that online presence after someone passes. There are a lot of really um, valid and important questions there. So we'd like to return to that at some point in the future and really give it a deeper dive. In the meantime, Dan, we hope that helps. Our next question is a classic. Hello, and thank you. My inquiry is about tipping, but not to find out how much to give. I live in a well-run building in Brooklyn, New York, with a fantastic superintendent and attentive doorman. In the three and a half years that I've lived here, every Christmas I've tipped the super about $75 or so, give or take $10. This past holiday, I was slammed with an inordinate number of expenses all at the same time and only gave him $30. A week later for New Year's, I also gave him a bottle of Prosecco. He delivered the same excellent service this year as he always has. He continues to be unfailingly polite when we run into each other, but I'm quite sensitive. And A, I feel terrible because I haven't known how to address the sudden drop in my tip and reassure him that his service and attitude are appreciated. And B, feel that his attitude, while polite, is much cooler. He must be wondering if he did something wrong. Maybe I'm projecting onto him, but I don't think so. What remedy would you suggest? Best wishes, Jacqueline. Jacqueline, this is a difficult one because while we totally understand why you had to give less this year, that is something that we always suggest you need to explain in the note that you leave with the tip. And that is the time to do it. It's the time to say, um, you know, dear Jim, as always, your service has been impeccable. I want to apologize that this isn't what I've been able to do in years past, but please know that I am so grateful and I hope I hope to be able to do, you know, the usual next year. Um, it's it's totally forgivable. It's totally understandable, but you do want to communicate it. And what you are feeling is that uncertainty. He doesn't know why you've all of a sudden given him less, and yet you're still being just as nice to him as you always have been. There's an unspokenness between you two now, and I think you need to speak it. Mm -hmm. um, I would either leave him a note um, and just explaining, you know, I I just want you to know that I feel really horrible that I wasn't able to, because it sounds like you do feel badly. I say just that I wasn't able to do, you know, what I, the normal tip or the normal gift at the holiday season, and it has just been weighing on my mind, and I want to let you know that I am so grateful for your continued service and and 
and the like. Um, Dan, you look like you really have something you want to say. I'm curious. I have a parallel situation. Something yeah. that happened to me yesterday. Okay. I got my hair cut and I paid with a credit card yeah. and I didn't have cash for a tip. It's the same person you didn't I write see. write your tip on the credit card? They, 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 it's not possible with their system. They don't accept tips on their credit card there. I think it has to do well, with the, silly. the taxation of the tip or something. I'm not sure exactly, but I know they won't do it. And this has happened in the past. And I, so I say to the person who cuts my hair, I feel really awkward. I don't have a, a tip don't for have you. Cash, yeah. I'm going to stop by and give it to you. And she says, no, don't worry about it. Just catch me next time. And I say, no, no, no. I all feel better if I make up this tip with you. Would you make a suggestion like that in this situation? If you usually do 75, you did 30 because the financial situation was such at the moment. When it opens up a little bit, do you take the difference, drop it in an envelope, say, you know, my tip was it, a little that, less? That might be a way to do it. But because we don't know when her financial situation is going to open up again, mm-hmm. I don't want to say in June go for it because that's going to give her six months of awkwardness until then. I think I think you need to address the situation now and then if you yeah. would like to do what Dan is talking about. Um, but I think the first step is to address the awkwardness you're feeling and don't say I've been noticing you've been cold <laughs> yeah. or, you know, because you're right. You might be projecting that. You, you're, I really commend you for thinking that's a possibility. Um, but instead, I would say this has been weighing on my mind and I just felt the need to explain myself. Mm-hmm. And write him a little note, take him aside and say that one day. Um, I'm sure that that your heartfeltness will come through. And if you're, you know, it's a, it's a genuine statement and that always seems to ring true. So make the effort, have the conversation or write the note. And then if you would like to follow up with the, the compensation for the rest of the tip or maybe a gift certificate to a restaurant, you know, he likes or something like that. That makes a lot of sense. You see this person, if not every day. Ex- well, and that's the thing. She's times. now gone like two yeah. months of awkwardness. And I think it's time to address it. So Jacqueline, I hope that gives you some options. And we hope that it's a little warmer in your building. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Thanks to everyone for sending in your questions. And remember, we love updates. If we answered your question on the show, or if you have a comment about one of our other questions, feel free to send it in. You can also submit your next question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or send it in via Facebook or Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want it on the show. So we are starting off our next segment with a little bit of an announcement. Dun, 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 dun. In our family, Dan's father would always say, mountsment, mountsment. <laughs> I don't know why, but that's just what it was. Because it was funny to say mousement when you were a kid. <laughs> <laughs> so mousement, we have officially named this part of the show, which we have always called our alternative segment. We have finally decided to call it our postscript segment, in which you will receive traditional etiquette, Rapid fire questions, points on modern day etiquette. What else? What else do we talk about in here? Well, for example, today we're going to share a little a personal oh, story, a little etiquette history. So we're going to talk a little bit about a, an episode in Emily Post Life today. I like it. Well, we are very thrilled to call this segment the Postscript, and we hope you enjoy it. So as teased, <laughs> today we're going to talk a little bit about Emily Post. Emily Post, the um, indefatigable, the indomitable, the... Indefatigable? <laughs> indefatigable. Did you make that up? I may have. I'm not sure. 
<laughs> um, Emily Post was such a remarkable woman. The, the 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 stories about her as a person loom large in our family. There's a a book that we will return to in a future postscript called Truly Emily Post, written and published by her son, that are sort of family stories, lore about Emily as a person, um, not as uh, rigorously or authoritatively researched the way the Claridge biography <laughs> is. These are more the, the the legend that survived. But today's story is a true tale. In 1916, Emily wrote her first book of nonfiction. It was a, a book about a cross-country road trip, hence the title, By Motor to the Golden Gate. It's about a, a trip she took with her son, Ned, and a woman named Alice who served as a Essentially, a secretary for Emily on the trip. Was Alice uh, a cousin? She, yes. She's somewhat related. Described as a cousin. I'm not sure whether that's a first cousin, a second cousin, what, what exactly the relationship yeah. was. But the three of them traveled from New York to the Golden Gate Bridge, and they did it by way of Riverside, California. So they actually dropped down through the American Southwest on the end of their trip and then came up the West Coast. But um, it wasn't the first book chronicling a cross-country road trip, but it came dangerously close. There was a man who had preceded Emily by just a couple years who also chronicled a cross-country road trip. But the the first cross-country road trip book in American history was almost written by Emily Post. I love it when I learn that I've been telling tales for a while. I had no idea. I thought she had written the first one and it wasn't not quite it was it was dangerously so close to everyone i've talked to about well, it before <laughs> you do get to say emily post and jack kerouac in the same sentence that's which pretty cool is delicious <laughs> and this also let's clarify was at a time when there were in some places not roads to actually drive they were on. pushing through mud and dirt and weren't there places where like i don't mean to just totally interrupt but no, weren't there places where um, like women weren't allowed in the dining room. They had to eat like out back or something like that. I remember I remember dad telling me some story about that. There are all kinds of tales in this book. A, a cowboy rides up to a bonfire where they're having a picnic. They, they, they pass through a ghost town and Emily's marveling at the, her father was the architect. She's right. the social, the, the, the civic planning of this ghost town that's now uninhabited. Amazing. Um, in some ways, Chicago is described as the last outpost of civilization. Bear in mind, this is a New Yorker, a member of best society. <laughs> drifting west and um, she's actually remarks at all of the the ornate fixtures in her Chicago hotel bathroom and I think she is maybe wondering if these people are overcompensating or or, or trying to keep up and and, (laughs) and, uh, not fall behind the big city cousins on the east coast. I need to read this one. Um, Emily did her own if anyone's ever done AAA triptychs where if you talk to AAA ahead of time this was popular back when the Senning family did its cross country road trip in the 90s early 90s Boy, that was even the late 80s. Um, Triple A would <laughs> would develop these day planner, these maps that flipped over, and they were long maps that showed a day's worth of driving, the route ahead of you for your day. Oh, that's it was your wonderful. triptych. Emily had done a series of triptychs for herself before Triple A provided the service. Um, so she meticulously planned and chronicled this adventure. Uh, and it was an adventure. It took her determination. Uh, it was unusual for a woman to undertake an endeavor like this. The the people that were sponsoring her trip, that she was sending the articles back, begged her. If things got too tough just to to call it quits and come back and, <laughs> and let people know. And she said, no, I'm, I'm determined I'm to make this trip. And yeah. this, this particular adventure preceded the publishing of Etiquette by about six or seven years. Etiquette came out in 1922. 
And I think that it was essential to the writing of etiquette that would follow. It really broadened Emily as a person to get outside of the confines of New York, outside the confines of the best society that she was most familiar with at the time and really start to experience the the broader scope of America at the yeah. time. And um, we talked about- Not everyone has a butler. <laughs> the democratic nature of Emily's pitch and appeal. And I definitely think that she understood both her audience and the types of manners that she was describing much better for having undertaken this, this endeavor. She she toured in a classic, uh, actually a custom Mercedes touring car. Uh, wow. the, the, the pictures from that particular trip are fantastic. A lot of her drive is that historic Route 66. So I'm just going to give you a little excerpt so you can get some, uh, some taste for how Emily turned a phrase. <laughs> she begun this book with a, a couple of her friends trying to convince her not to go. Chapter one begins, it can't be done, but then it is perfectly simple. Of course, you are sending your servants ahead by train with your luggage and all that sort of thing, said an Englishman. A New York banker answered for me. Not at all. The best thing is to put them in another machine directly behind with a good mechanic. Then if you break down the man in the rear, your own chauffeur can get you to rights in no time. How about your chauffeur? Are you sure he is a good one? We are not taking one, nor servants, nor mechanic either. Surely you and your son are not thinking of going alone. Probably he could drive, but who is going to take care of the car? Why, he is. At that, everyone interrupted at once. <laughs> I love it. That's such a good excerpt. And it's the start of the book. Emily was not to be deterred, <laughs> despite the, 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 the best advice and wishes of her close New York friends. She was so, like, practically daring. And that's what I loved about her. Like, just listen to that. Oh, surely not. What do you mean? Of course. And that from everything we've ever heard from our grandparents, this is exactly who she was. She loved to disabuse people of their assumptions and notions that, that she found foolish. Hmm. Who does that sound like? I think you and I picked up just a little bit of that from our grandmother. Great, great grandmother. I certainly hope so. <laughs> what I would love for the two of us to get to do is I would love for the two of us to follow Emily's route and to go across and to recreate this trip. And I would abs I think that that would be the coolest thing for us to attempt. I would do it. Let's do it. Let's. OK, so you, our listeners, have just heard us commit to that. We are doing it. Now we just got to find a way to do it. <laughs> by, by motor to the Golden Gate. Sometime. Future project. Future project. Um, Emily succeeded. She made she it. She did. She, she got made it there. across the country. They they pushed on. They they made it happen. And they had their adventure and they wrote about it. They sent a series of articles back to New York that were originally published in Collier's. Uh, they were eventually compiled into a book a year later and put out. And you can find that book. It's in the public domain. There are multiple online e-versions. Uh, so Buy Motor to the Golden Gate by Emily Post. And I wish you well. Happy hunting finding it. And it's a great read. So, Not that I've read it yet, but it's a great read. <laughs> so enjoy that. And um, that's the end of our first postscript. We hope you'll come back for many more. Social courtesy does pay, doesn't it? Thanks. Well, it's come time for our etiquette salute today. We like to end our show on a positive note. So each week we offer up an etiquette salute to a person or organization who's out there exhibiting good etiquette and making the world a nicer place for all the rest of us. This week's salute comes from a listener, Greg, and is not to an individual, but instead to a certain type of person. Greg writes, 
I have an etiquette salute, but not for a particular person. Instead, for people who allow others to go ahead of them while waiting in a line. When I'm Dan is cheering <laughs> silently across from me. When I'm busy or rushing through errands, I have from time to time had people in front of me offer to switch places with me in line. This also recently happened to me of all places when I was at the gun range for a class on historical firearms. When the man in front of me in line offered to switch places with me so that I could wait with my friends who were in front of him. Now, when I'm not in a rush, I've been trying to offer those behind me to go first. I don't mind waiting an extra few minutes to let someone in a hurry check out before me, and I like to think I made their day easier. I live on Long Island, which generally is an etiquette wasteland full of rude and mean people, so the shocked change of expression on people's faces when I offer them my spot is a fun bonus. Sorry. We're both just cracking up at that. We are sure there are nice people in Long Island, just like our friend Greg. If no one had ever first done it to me, I never would have thought of letting others skip ahead of me in line. So I feel like it's a great example of the kind of pass it forward etiquette your podcast encourages. Thanks so much for all your hard work. Sincerely, Greg. Greg, we love it. It's so exactly the nature of what we hope and just think you really are that person that everyone wants to have in their grocery store. Line. A great big hearty etiquette salute to Greg and all those people who noticed the person standing behind them with just one item. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you have an etiquette salute, please consider sending it into the show. As you've just witnessed, it doesn't exactly have to be for a particular individual, but it could just be for something that you or the people around you are doing to help make the world a nicer place. Well, now, uh, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. That's our show for today. As always, thank you for listening and spending some of your day with us. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And don't forget, there's no show without you. So send us your questions, your etiquette salutes, and your suggestions to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Enjoyed the show? You can find more Awesome Etiquette on iTunes and make sure to write a review if you like the show. For that matter, don't be shy. Tweet it or Facebook post it. You might get a reply from Lizzie or I. We've both been making an effort to be sure we respond to everything tagged with hashtag Awesome Etiquette. On Facebook, we're the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by my dear friend, Bob Wagner.